Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is a woman whose childhood trauma has led her to this. It's Lydia. <laughs> well, I just appreciate that nice tombstone that you carved out for me last Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know you saw it before I filled the pond. <laughs> yes, I know everything. <laughs> have you been Lydia I've been Lydia a long time How have you been Christopher <laughs> at least my whole life yeah <laughs> it's been very <laughs> yes before we go any further I want to first thank everyone for tuning in and secondly to let any new listeners know that they can listen and subscribe to this show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio Google Play, Spotify they can go to podcaster.com any podcast uh, after you choose, you'll be able to find us. Wherever you listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. If you are a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join. This is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the podcast. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All of these links are on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com. And Lydia, we now have two scripts for a five-minute mystery. <laughs> I guess that means we need to get producing. Yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Yes, uh, Pete Quint, as we talked about last month, sent us one. And then just recently, uh, Christine Cree sent us one. Both are fantastic. Uh, both stories, I think, are going to need some additional voices. So if you'd be interested in auditioning, and by auditioning, I mean if you'll say you'll do it, you've got the part. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know. We're really tough to please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've already got some ideas and stuff for uh, for a couple of them, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually putting these together. But yeah, Lydia and I will have to discuss and figure out how we're going to get this done <laughs> now that we said, we've said all this time that we're going to do it and we're waiting for the scripts and now it's like, oh, now we have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to one of the original Five Minute Mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we're going to discuss 1963's Dementia 13. Another five-minute mystery. afternoon is cloudy and overcast with probably showers this evening. Why do you bother with that radio writing? There's never anything new. What else is there to do around a firehouse eating? Sleep and go to fires. We'll be going to enough fires, all right, if they don't catch that arsonist who's been trying to burn up the whole city. Yeah, I'd like to get my hands on that devil. Maybe we will, Edens. Maybe we will. Holy smoke, here we go again. Looks like the end of the world, doesn't it? They don't get their bloodhounds after that fire bug. It soon will be. 
Hey, who's that guy that keeps dragging along here? I don't know, but he's really got a grip on his arm. Maybe it's the firebug. Hey, Chief, who's the man you're holding? The rat who's been setting all these fires. Where are you taking him? Down to the station. Put out this place and hurry along. You hear that, Wrighton? Pour on the water. I want to see a firebug get singed. <laughs> You still deny that you set that fire? Let me call my lawyer. You can't question me this way. It's illegal. Let me go to work on him, Chief. That won't be necessary, Edens. I'm sure this prolific arsonist will come clean in just a few minutes. You got no proof? You were seen running out of the burning building just as the engines pulled up. How did the fire start? Listen, pal, I'll tell you I don't know. Now will you let me go? Why did you wait till the fire had gained so much headway before you finally ran out? I just woke up and I heard your sirens drawing near the building. Listen, my friend. We're out to break this cycle of arson that's been slowly destroying the city. You're in for some pretty rough weather ahead, unless you come clean and tell me how that fire started. The sooner you give me the truth, the easier it'll go with you. All right, Chief, I'll play ball with you. The whole fire was an accident. What? Yeah, I swear it was. I really went in there to get some sleep. And when I woke up, I lit a cigarette. And that was my big mistake. The building was so old, it was almost falling apart, and there were cobwebs hanging all over the place. While I was shaking out the flame of the match, it hit some of the cobwebs hanging from the low beams, and that was it. Webs caught fire and spread to the roof, and the dry wood began to burn in a flash. What do we do now, Chief? Take him to the police and book him on a charge of arson. His story shows that he deliberately set that fire. What lie in the firebug story did the Chief detect? In just a moment, we'll know, but first... The Flash Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. Now it's three, three, three apocalypses in one. Suffering from tough, stuck-on humans? Well, 20 hellish hours of suffocation in the all-encompassing web of Carwick the Spider God will get them right out. Too many brains lying around? The ravenous mouths surrounding zombie-fighting Ruby will quickly clean those up. Nosy neighbors, infect them with the murder plague and watch as they dissolve into paranoid maniacs bent on the preemptive assassination of their friends and family. Why stop at one end of the world when you can have all three? You can find them all at flashpulp.com or search for them on iTunes. What are you talking about, Chief? I told you it was an accident. If it was, you would have told a different story. You see, there was one very important flaw in your story that condemned it as a lie. Prove it. You said that the cobwebs caught fire and spread to the roof. Well, I'm afraid that isn't quite accurate. Unfortunately for you, cobwebs don't flame. All right, boys, take him away. Our firebug needs cooling off.
Dementia 13 was written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola and produced by Roger Corman. The film stars William Campbell, Patrick McGee, and Luana Anders. It was released by American International Pictures as the bottom half of a double bill with Corman's X, the man with X-ray eyes. Although Coppola had been involved in a couple kind of sexploitation films previously, Dementia 13 is regarded as his first mainstream, quote-unquote, legitimate directorial effort. Corman offered Coppola the chance to direct a low-budget horror film in Ireland using funds left over from the recently completed The Young Racers. Corman wanted a cheap psycho copy, complete with gothic atmosphere and brutal killings, and Coppola quickly wrote a screenplay with Corman's requirements. During filming, Coppola kept Corman updated on the status of the production in letters that promised sex and violence would appear in the film. Coppola was pretty much left entirely on his own without any interference of any kind from Corman. When the completed film was shown to him, Corman reportedly stormed out of the screening room and demanded that several changes be made, changes that Coppola did not agree with. According to Coppola, Corman, quote, insisted on dubbing the picture the way he wanted it, adding voiceovers to simplify some of the scenes, and worse, he wanted extra violence added, another axe murderer at least. Jack Hill was later hired by Corman to shoot some brief sequences featuring actor Carl Shanzer as a comical poacher who is beheaded by the murderer. Let's see a little bit about Francis Ford Coppola, in case you don't know. He is now, I think, more or less a retired film director. Uh, As a child, he actually contracted polio, and he was bedridden for long periods, which allowed him to kind of indulge his imagination with homemade puppet theater productions. Reading A Streetcar Named Desire at age 15 was instrumental in developing his interest in theater. He entered Hofstra College in 1955 with a major in theater arts, and there he was awarded a scholarship in playwriting. This furthered his interest in directing. Coppola was profoundly impressed after seeing Sergei Eisenstein's October 10 Days That Shook the World, a 1928 Soviet silent historical film. It is a celebratory dramatization of the 1917 October Revolution, commissioned for the 10th anniversary of the event. Coppola was especially intrigued with the movie's quality of editing. It was at this time Coppola decided he would go into cinema rather than theater. Coppola said he was tremendously influenced to become a writer writer early on by his brother August. He also gives credit for the works of Elia Kazan for its influence on him as a director. After earning his theater arts degree from Hofstra in 1960, Coppola enrolled in UCLA Film School. There he directed a short horror film called The Two Christophers, inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson. And... Ayamon the Terrible, a film about a sculptor's nightmares coming to life, before directing the experimental softcore comedy Tonight for Sure in 62. The company that hired him for Tonight for Sure brought him back to recut a German film, which he added some 3D color footage and earned a writer's and director's credit for, and it was called The Bellboy and the Playgirls. This was a box office failure. He was hired as an assistant by Roger Corman, and his first job for Corman was to dub and re-edit a Russian science fiction film, Nibo Zavyat, which he turned into a sex and violence monster movie entitled Battle Beyond the Sun. Impressed by Coppola's perseverance and dedication, Corman hired him as a dialogue director 
on Tower of London in 62 and as a sound man for the Young Racers in 63. And he was also the associate producer of The Terror in 63. So another film that we covered way back when. That was probably one of the early films that we covered, I think. Yeah. Coppola bought the rights to the David Benedictus novel You're a Big Boy Now and fused it with story ideas of his own, resulting in 1966 You're a Big Boy Now. This was his UCLA thesis project and was uh, was and it also received a theatrical release via Warner Brothers. This movie earned critical acclaim and Geraldine Page was nominated for an Oscar as well as a Golden Globe award. It also earned Coppola his Master of Fine Arts degree from UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television in 67. Following this success, he was offered the reins of the movie version of Broadway musical Finian's Rainbow, starring Petulia Clark in her first American film, and uh, along with veteran Fred Astaire. Producer Jack L. Warnon was um, a little off-put by Coppola's shaggy-haired, bearded hippie appearance and generally left him to his own devices. <laughs> Coppola's result was only semi-successful, although Clark received a Golden Globe Best Actress nomination. The film introduced him to George Lucas, who became his lifelong friend as well as a production assistant in his next film, The Rain People, in 69. It was written and directed and initially produced by Coppola himself, though as the movie advanced, he exceeded his budget and the studio had to underwrite the remainder of the movie. In 69, Coppola took it upon himself to subvert the studio system, which he felt had stifled his visions, intending to produce mainstream pictures to finance offbeat projects and give first-time directors their chance to direct. He decided he would name his future studio Zoetrope. After receiving a gift of Zoetropes, from uh, Morgan Scott Hansen, founder of a studio called Lanterna Film. While touring Europe, Coppola was introduced to alternative filmmaking equipment and inspired by the bohemian spirit of Lanterna Film. He decided he would build a deviant studio that would conceive and implement creative, unconventional approaches to filmmaking. He was at the forefront of a group of filmmakers known as the New Hollywood that emerged in the early 70s with ideas that challenged conventional filmmaking. The group included Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Terrence Malick, Robert Altman, Woody Allen, William Fredkin, uh, Philip Kaufman, and George Lucas. He would go on to write, direct, and produce dozens of award-winning films throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and well into the 2000s. Titles such as Patton, which he co-wrote, uh, Godfathers 1, 2, and 3, Apocalypse Now, and the list goes on, making him one of the most influential filmmakers of the 20th century. Uh, and now we get, it's kind of fun seeing the film that kind of got his, gave him his start, I guess, as a director, as a writer and director of film. Uh, certainly the biggest that you're actually going to see. I mean, the sexploitation films, we'd probably have to dig a little <laughs> deeper to find those. A little bit. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I mean, there's a little bit of information about some of the actors and stuff. Uh, William Campbell, who was uh, the star of the film here. Uh, might be best recognized to me he was best recognized for his uh, couple roles on Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> he was of course um, oh I just lost his name the Squire of Gothos uh, Trelane I think his name was in the yes, episode Trelane. Squire of Gothos uh, that was one of his most he also played a Klingon a couple times too um, in <laughs> Star Trek which he reprised I think in Deep Space Nine he reprised that character interesting actor he's kind of one of those actors that i have a feeling he was always just a little bit you know outside the box kind of actor the mm -hmm. roles i've seen him in where he's always been he's never like the normal guy 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's not your typical hero. Certainly not in appearance. He looks a little sinister. Yeah. And, and yeah, his, his you when you see him, you immediately know that he's not a typical person. <laughs> his character is not a typical person. Apparently, he did this work uh, for Coppola as kind of was supposed to be sort of a hey if you do me a favor i'll help you you know help you out later and i'll give you calls and everything said after he was done with this he never was able to get through to coppola again (laughs) oh no (laughs) which is too bad i i think uh i don't know if you picked it up but luana anders we've actually seen her in two movies already have we podcast we have she was in both the pit and the pendulum and she was in Night Tide, the one about the the sailor that falls in love she with the mermaid. The, I don't think we ever did Pit in the Pendulum, did we? <laughs> did we? No, I don't think we I did that know. one. No, we didn't oh, do well, that. Maybe but we it's just yeah, oh, we did Night no. Tide. <laughs> we did Night Tide well, not I've that recently, not, not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, she, she was a, a smaller part in that, not the main girl. Mm, oh, okay. But okay. she was, and I guess I should say we I should say we've seen her. In oh, she was things. the um, the daughter or granddaughter of the guy that owned the. Um, Yes, the, car- the carousel. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I'm impressed that you picked that up. <laughs> I had to look her up to to realize that. I didn't. I I'd actually probably. I think I missed clicking her at all, or else I would have noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one other little bit of information that's interesting. Uh, a couple more of the characters in this are uh, Bart Patton and Mary Mitchell playing Billy and Kane. Right. Kane is Mary Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And they're actually married in real life, I believe, at this time. Uh, no, I believe they, I think I read they did divorce. Well, that just figures. Yeah, of course. There's some things that happen in this movie that would definitely hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd divorce him. No. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he didn't. Oh well, we'll get we'll get into that. I guess when we start talking about the uh, the characters and what happens in the right, movie. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to give just you know the briefest. I mean, what I what I mentioned about Coppola is like just scratching the surface of this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I don't know how you could really you'd you'd have to write a novel to really <laughs> get everything. I'd be like trying to yeah. We're gonna give you a quick sketch about the life of Winston Churchill. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you can just go check out the book from the library or watch the documentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wanted to give you a little bit, a little bit of story, a little bit about him. Um, just especially you know, where he was at the time that he did this film and, and why and how he got involved with Corman and everything. Uh, but yeah, I guess we can go ahead and talk a little bit about the film. I have a, like the briefest of synopsis here for, for anybody because I, I don't know. I feel like... We're going to have to spoil the film a little, but I don't know if we want to spoil it completely. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see. It starts off well, very I, well. Would you like to? Let, let me go ahead and sir. read the synopsis it's, I've it got here. It starts we'll... off abruptly, just like me launching into the conversation. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> you're kind of not ready for it. And then, oh, wait, this is the, the movie's going. Oh, okay. <laughs> Introducing Dr. William J. Bryan. In 1960, I was consulted regarding a tragic case of a triple murderer who strangled his victims immediately after viewing the movie Psycho. His fascinating analysis under hypnosis, now a matter of record in my book, came to the attention of the producers of Dementia 13, who asked me to devise a method of preventing a recurrence of this tragedy. 
You will be given a test prepared by Dr. Bryan to determine your ability to withstand shock. Those unable to pass this test will not be admitted to the theater. Castle Halloran is a bit perplexing. A very strange place, really. Old and musty. The kind of place you'd expect a ghost to like to wander around in. Kind of a haunted castle. Castle Halloran is haunted. By Kathleen. Shortly after hearing the reading of the will of Lady Halloran, which states that the entire fortune of the family will go to charity in the name of the youngest daughter who drowned seven years ago in the family's pond, her eldest son John Halloran has a fatal heart attack and his wife Louise, knowing she'll be excluded from the family fortune if John is dead, hatches a plan to convince the rest of his family he's been called to New York on important business. And she goes to the Irish ancestral home Castle Halloran to meet the family and look for a way to get the mother to change her will. But there's an axe-wielding killer on the grounds and more going on with this family and the mother's obsession with the death of her daughter. It, it starts off immediately. Yes. And suddenly there's music <laughs> and a dock right. and a guy go into a boat <laughs> and we find out this is John and his wife Louise trailing after him complaining about his wretched music which sounds like something from a a Gidget movie, mm-hmm. ironically, since Bart Patton played in that type of film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but it's interesting. It started off, and I was like, "Oh, did I did I miss something?" Yeah. There's not you don't actually see the reading of the will. No, no, no. It's just mentioned straight into the fatal boat trip. It's mentioned in conversation. There's literally a pre-credit sequence. John, that will is no good. Your mother's still alive. We can talk her into changing it. You are always too greedy, Louise. I just don't like to see her exploiting you. Honey, she's leaving all of your family's money to charity in the name of this mysterious Kathleen. It's ridiculous. Your mother is crazy. You don't know anything about it. I know that music's terrible. You have to think, wait a minute, why are this why is he going for a row in a suit? And, you know, she, and she's dressed nice. She's got heels on. Why, the, why are they at the dock? Actually, you could still ask that question. Yes, okay, I understand why they're dressed that way, because apparently they were just at the reading of this will. That I didn't even think of it that way, but yeah. That would I, that's sense. my assumption, but it still doesn't explain why they're... It's the middle of the night, and they're on a dock wanting to go for a row. <laughs> Well, this, I think the suit you could explain just purely because it's the 60s and they're, you know, they're essentially 60s power couple is how I would describe them. Okay. <laughs> Probably, considering he grew up in a castle, I'm going to guess. Um, <laughs> True. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so here, here they are out, you know, and she's, she's so Louise, who is... Uh, who we've already talked about as Lana Anders in this, it is her 
haranguing is the word I wanted, haranguing her husband. Stop rowing so fast. I can't believe your mother's giving away all that money. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. Your music's awful. And he has a heart attack. Oh, yeah. These are, these are people that don't, you get the feeling, these, these are a couple that don't really love each other. I mean, there's, there's a lot of spite between these two. His his glee at telling her, "If I die before you, you get nothing." Well, yeah, well, even even the oh driven. god, that music's terrible. Oh, really? This yeah. music? I'm gonna turn up. <laughs> turn it up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like normal marriage to me. Yeah. No. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> uh, but you know, of course. So then, it's, so John's not in this movie for very long at all. But then. So, you know, because oh, yeah. he literally dies. John he, dies at the beginning, not at the end, yeah, his, in case you're wondering. <laughs> his dying words are, row faster, because you won't get anything if I'm dead. <laughs> it's so morbid, <laughs> but I kind of love it. And I think this is, yeah. it, it's early on where you're like, wow, Francis Ford Coppola knows what's going on. This is, this is people. <laughs> this is people that don't like each other and are stuck together in a very small Yeah, boat. these are just people that are actually <laughs> saying the things that other people just think think. (laughs) (laughs) so you know so of course he dies and what does she do she dumps his body overboard (laughs) because that's what you do when your husband dies and you're gonna get nothing if he dies before you you just dump him in the in the pond right (laughs) and then we actually do get credits and i have to admit I don't men- usually mention the uh, the credits of a film, but I love the credits of this movie. The music changes. It's got a great, great kind of uh, spooky sort of music. <laughs> yes. It's got some great like animation uh, over with the credits of mm-hmm. like you know the 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 body floating in the water and the. It, it, it gives a little creepy faced girl. Yeah, there's yes. hints to what you're going to be seeing in the film, kind of in a in a. It, it, interesting kind of animated way as the credits roll over. I really dig the credits on this one. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Mm. So uh, so then I suppose the next thing is Billy picking up Kane from the airport. Yep. yep. And so we, we get to meet Billy, who is John, who just died's little brother. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Richard is the third brother in this trio of terror and horror (laughs) (laughs) in this terror in an Irish castle Uh, but Kane bizarrely played by Mary Mitchell I kept thinking her name was Jane it's not it's Kane yeah it's it's not Jane (laughs) it's not Kate it's Kane it is Kane (laughs) and uh, is being picked up by Billy so her okay so so Louise like when you she goes through this whole thing coming up with an explanation for John not being there in the morning right she dumps his stuff in the in the the pond and he's gone she writes a letter to his mother and you know so we immediately know okay she's she's conniving she's definitely in it for what she can get Mm -hmm. and so then kane shows up and she's interesting because it the first time i watched this i thought oh she's a ditz like i really thought oh kind of not that bright kind of a ditz but the second time I watched it, I liked it a little bit. Or I liked her a little bit more. Mm. And the third time I watched it, I really liked her. I <laughs> never got the impression that she was a ditz. And it was the first. Just I suppose I was comparing her at first to Louise, mm. who is so she's plotting. Yes. And then you have Kane, and she's just kind of happy-go-lucky, like things are fine, and she's just excited to see Richard. Right. And it, and. 
it's an interesting contrast because you've got these two blonde American women that seem very different from women. Yeah, the Halloran men definitely have a type. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They all like blondes. They in all their like own blonde way. Americans. Yep. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's interesting. So Kane shows up and is uh, picked up by Billy, who takes her to see Richard. And in in the meantime, Louise is chatting with Lady Halloran, played by Ethne Dunn, who I know I've seen her somewhere before. I cannot place her. Hmm. And I've even looked up her credits, and it, it, she may just have been a bit part in something. I, she and Patrick McGee both are s- comparatively small parts in this movie, but both really interesting to watch. I think. Yeah, for uh, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Definitely for different reasons. But here's uh, Lady Halloran with Louise working her best to ingratiate herself. Well, I find a statue reminds me of death. How very unusual, Lady Halloran. For a woman to have been married to such a famous sculptor and yet feel that way. Didn't uh, John mention when he was going to return? He wasn't sure. We thought I'd stay on for a while to get to know the family. And then if he couldn't make it back... I just returned to New York. How long is a little while? As long as you like, Mother. Oh, you're very welcome here, Louise. As long as you understand the privacy of our personal duties. I speak of the ceremony tomorrow. I'm sure John explained it to you. I'm afraid John was usually too busy to talk much about the family. That's why I'm so happy to be here. Finally. You'll have a pleasant stay. And I'm sure you can find something to occupy your time during the ceremony. It won't take very long. The initial uh, breakfast, I, I'm assuming it's breakfast or meal or whatever it is, after we meet Richard, which is a William Campbell uh, mm-hmm. character, is Richard, who was a sculptor, which is, I think, the second time I've seen him as a sculptor in a film. He kind of has that look. Yeah. He's got that artist look. That, that meal when the whole family's together... And the mother starts talking about Kathleen, and Richard, you can tell, is the one that's just sick and tired of all of this. Yeah. Apparently, they get together. The story goes that the mother was actually, like, 40 when she had Kathleen. So she considered kind of like the miracle baby. And then when Kathleen passed away, drowned at the age of seven, it it sent mother into this, this spiral. And she's like, looking for anyone to blame for the death of her her little angel. And so every year they have a ceremony marking the anniversary of this girl's funeral. And you can tell that Richard is the one that is just tired of going through this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just, he's fed up with his mom. He's fed up with this crazy, you know, obsession that she has. He wants to like put it behind him. Move (laughs) on. Yeah, he wants to move on. Exactly. Um, but he has he I still think he's still he's like battling the the desire to move on and his desire to be like be the eldest son, you know, the responsible mm-hmm. son kind of thing. But that, that that whole meal where she's talking about Kathleen and everything and he does get upset and leave the room and Lady Halloran goes in and talks to him and there is I mean there is like fire between these two. Mother, I don't care what tragedy hangs over this family. 
I want to get married. I'm engaged to be married. I'm going to get married. Moreover, I'm going to marry Kane. Mother. Kathleen's dead. She's dead for seven years. You never talked so much when you were a child. cried a lot, didn't I? Afraid I might be doing that again if you frightened her away from me. You want me to include her? To talk to her? Yes. Yes, I do. Very well. I will. I'll tell her I don't care for her. Mother. And I promise you, I'll never forget it. I get the feeling that she doesn't want the family to have happiness. She just wants everything to stop on the day of the funeral. And then they basically reenact the funeral every year. Right. They they have umbrellas out even though it's sunny outside. And they they each walk around the grave and then every year she collapses. Like every year for how long has this been? 10, 15 years every year. It's only she seven years. Really? They actually say it was seven years ago. I missed that. Yeah, because they they actually made a point to like saying that she was an older woman when she had the child. So yeah, she's only just shy of fifty um, at, uh, at this no, time. No, she's not. Well, <laughs> right in the the character. <laughs> yes. I find it odd that for some reason John managed to get himself married when Lady Halloran is so adamant about Richard not getting married but then i wonder if john and louise Louise were married prior to the death that's possible but but louise makes a point of saying she doesn't know anything she doesn't know much about kathleen so it seems like yeah it seems sort of like louise was sort of she kind of snuck into the family on the sidelines right well we know all three boys went to school in america that's why they don't have irish accents they make a point of explaining that and clever yes (laughs) i kind of got the impression that louise probably met john found out about his family background and very quickly got herself married to him and then at the reading of the will realized she's going to get nothing out of being married to this man and is like ready to flip a table right <laughs> so, all right so that, that could so be that's might my be, impression of it maybe their relationship started overseas and they got married overseas and it was a a whirlwind romance kind of thing mm-hmm. or something and and billy makes the point that they're both American women, so so Kane won't be lonely because there will be another American woman there to right, hang out yeah. with. So that's a possibility. So maybe it was just a, ca- a case of, um, oh, look who I brought to, to meet the family, my yeah, wife. Look who's coming to dinner, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Lady Halloran does not want Richard to marry. And he, he's insisting, he's like, look, I'm going to marry her. So I think you're right. I think she's she just wants the whole world to stop and just revolve around Kathleen. Mm-hmm. And that means her her sons can't get married because then the bride is the center of attention. That would be stealing away the center mm. of attention from Kathleen, you know, who, of course, never is going to be able to get married because she died when she was seven. Oh, the tragedy. Right, so here's right. this woman just stuck in this cycle, and she's happy in her cycle in her twisted way. 
I almost get the impression, though, that had Kathleen lived, her and her mom would live their lives together, and Kathleen, she wouldn't have let ever let Kathleen leave the house. And I think Billy says something about it later. He he even says there, her, his mother had a a poem about it, some something or other for right. somebody else, and Kathleen for me mm-hmm. will never leave or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And yeah, definitely got the impression that she realized she didn't have control. Lady Halloran realized she didn't have control over her sons. So when she finally had her daughter, she was that was it. She was going to hang on to her forever. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the impression I got. Mm-hmm. More happens. We're only like ten minutes into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, there's a lot going on with this family. There's so many that we've got a relationship, you know, or, or well, not so much a relationship anymore between John and Louise. We've got what's going on with uh, Richard and uh, Kane. Uh, we've got uh, Billy, who is dealing with his own. You can tell he's dealing with his own stuff flashbacks and nightmares yeah exactly <laughs> um lady halloran uh yeah there's a lot going on and you're only 15 20 minutes into this film yeah. gosh and we haven't even talked about another major character which is uh dr caleb yeah who shows up about what maybe halfway or so after the ceremony i think it was when uh when Lady Halloran first collapses from the funeral reenactment, mm-hmm. he shows up and starts explaining that her mind is like a bird in the hand. Consider your mind as a bird in your hand. When it's relaxed, it lies quiet and easy. But when it's tense and frightened, it strains to leave you. Quite a simple principle, isn't it? You're engaged to treat my body. Not my mind. Now don't you try to separate that which nature has joined. What I'm trying to say is this, that every year at this time, you work yourself toward a point of hysteria. You remember, you worry, you imagine, and then you collapse. I just can't believe that such a punctual cycle is physiological. Aside from all this, am I well? Aside from all this? Oh, yes. What I want you to do is to rest and to relax your mind. Remember the uh, bird in your hand? This is clearly the family doctor, and he sounds and looks about as evil as you can get. I'm surprised he doesn't twirl his mustache. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a mustache. He There's a, a quote from um, William Campbell, who recalls he apparently worked with him in the Young Racers. They were both involved in the Young Racers. And uh, apparently William Campbell uh, warmly remembered McGee. He thought it was a great performer, but he did say he was a little prone to overacting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so interestingly, if you, you know, as you dig through some of the information, he seemed really familiar to me. And the only thing I could come up with was he had a couple of roles in the original Avengers, the 1960s TV show with him. Uh, with um, Diana Rigg and I can't think Patrick McNee. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Dame Diana, and and, um, and I, it must be that I recognize him from that because I loved those as a kid growing up. 
it was funny because he seems so familiar so digging into it it seems he's a classically trained actor he's been in probably almost as much shakespeare as patrick stewart has and and so many credits and roles and he has that very eloquent way of speaking that sort of tremulous roll to his r's almost he seems like a, a like he's almost too good for this role except that you need somebody in this role that is kind of creepy and yet also upstanding (laughs) yeah he was one of the many what i would consider would maybe kind of be a uh could almost call him a red herring in the film because the way he definitely comes the way he comes across it's like this guy's up to something yeah he's got a way of speaking at times that you could call it clipped maybe it's almost too clipped the way he would talk there's certain his words in a sentence and every word like has a period after it as he's speaking (laughs) it's like yes well it's like a bad edit job (laughs) finding a red herring in this movie is like shooting fish in a barrel i mean every male in this movie is suspect Mm -hmm. and the only reason that the women aren't suspect is because we pretty much see what's going on with them the whole time right and they're the shadowy figure that starts tacking people up literally with an axe is clearly a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. The women are almost always on screen. Mm-hmm. And the men are always the ones that, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> where is everybody? Mother just collapsed in the middle of the lawn yeah. and only the women are here. Why right. are there only women? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone, when the men do show up, they've all had the time to go and, you know, run around from the other corner, you know, go through another entrance. <laughs> and- yeah. And probably have a wash and change their sweaters as well. <laughs> it is, yeah, there's definitely... And, and actually, is it sounds like that's a drawback to this movie, but it actually is a really huge plus to it. I think that's part of what makes this story work, is you never know where any of the men are. It yeah. sounds like me in high school. No, I'm kidding. But it, is, it does sound like... You just it could be anybody at any time and everybody at some point in the movie everybody has a, a, a shadow of suspicion cast across them oh yeah absolutely and you definitely see where Coppola was going for the um you know the the, the psycho vibe I mean well mm-hmm. without giving a whole lot away I mean one of the main characters doesn't make it past the halfway mark of the film. Yeah, it, it, she kind of pulls the whole psycho thing, you know. <laughs> it, right. it, rather than a shower, yeah. it's a pond. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it, and it's interesting. This movie, I, at first, it really confused me because I I thought, okay, here's the main character. Oh, that wasn't the main character. Okay, here's the main character. Wait, no, that's not the main character. Well, who the heck is the main character in this right. movie? It had uh, and it's interesting. It, what's interesting is you keep thinking who is this movie about and it's very much like the movie rebecca the movie is about kathleen yeah exactly it's about the one person that isn't gonna be in it it's really interesting and it does as you said earlier that they wanted a ripoff of psycho and i thought oh that's what it is it's a cross between psycho and rebecca Mm -hmm. it feels just like if you took those two and squished them together this is the movie you would have yeah this is the baby i'm glad you mentioned rebecca that's a fantastic uh analogy there 
<laughs> this film goes to a lot of trouble to, to throw suspicion on everybody, but then goes to absolutely no trouble to try to actually mask the guilty party or to hide who the guilty party is. Yeah, I you you if you understand what's going on in the movie, which I think is to me the strong point is you don't understand what's going on in the movie at first. Uh, if you knew exactly what was going on in the movie, you pretty much know what's going to happen in the movie. But because you don't really know what's going on, there it, it's that red herring again. It's leading you down different paths and and confusing the the main issue. So let me ask you this. I'm I'm interested to know if you had a, a favorite character or a character that you really strongly liked in this movie? I think probably Kane was the one that was like, she's like the normal one that's been thrust into this. Everyone else has issues. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has... Yeah. <laughs> With a capital I. <laughs> um, so I think Kane was certainly the one that you could like relate to the most. Uh, she was truly, she was, a, she was a smart woman. She was a supportive woman. She was in love with Richard, who she knows is an artist, who yes. she knows has, you know, the way his <laughs> mind works. There's going to be times where he's just going to be lost in his art. He's going to be, he's just going to go off into a room and not come out for days. And she knows that. And she's going to stand behind him. You know, she's good. There's that great scene where he's like, look, I just have to deal with this. I have to work this through. Just, I have, I have to wait it out. And it's just up to you whether you want to sit this out with me or, or, or leave. And she pulls up a chair and sits. Mm-hmm. I thought, I mm-hmm. like her. So I think Kane is definitely probably, if I had to pick a favorite character, um, I would have really liked to have, um, liked Billy. I think he seemed like a good kid. <laughs> That's interesting. I think So it's funny. I, I Only after I looked into him a little bit as an actor did I find out he had done the, is it Dobie Gillis? Is that the guy's name? He had done some Dobie Gillis stuff and some kind of that, like I mentioned, Gidget earlier. He doesn't look like he belongs in oh, this well, movie. Well, I actually disagree. I actually thought that was like a real strong uh, bit of casting is I saw him as like, he looks like he could be related to William Campbell. Well, uh, physiologically, yes. But as the character, he's this kind of... He's funny. I, I suppose you could you could say he's the he's overshadowed by literally every mm-hmm. person in his family. You know, you've got John, who clearly is a very strong personality, even if it's giving him heart issues. Uh, you know, R- Richard, who's you know uh, clearly a promising artist and has a very strong personality, and of course his mother is you know his lady mrs haversham or miss haversham you know i mean like she is the irish miss haversham and then of course kathleen is forever going to be overshadowing billy so i suppose from that standpoint he makes sense but it's funny it's almost like he's a little i think i felt like billy was the one kind of flat character in it Everybody else you've got, I suppose, you know, you could make an argument for the poacher being a flat character, but, you know, (laughs) so for somebody that, you know, was kind of tossed in at the last minute as an afterthought, that's not hugely shocking. Um, I wanted to see more of Dr. Caleb and I, I really wanted to see more of Lady Halloran because I feel like there's more to her story than they let you have. 
and these it's interesting they've they even have conflict between the two of them he's the family doctor and she's irritated with him for talking to her about psychology when she says you know you're just here to to heal my body stop talking to me about my mind and he says you can't separate the two and you know they they even have this little back and forth about what she's gonna wear for breakfast on the lawn you know he says something cheerful and light you know something youthful and cheerful anything will do yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they and they both nitpick at the at the maid you know just trying to get their way and every character in it i feel like has a really interesting story Mm -hmm. or a really interesting personality until you get to billy and i feel like billy just kind of is like "Eh." well i I think that (laughs) was a little bit of his character i feel like he was being the um well not the youngest the youngest surviving member of the family but Mm -hmm. he kind of gets uh, shoved to the back because yeah apparently John is some sort of successful businessman mm-hmm. uh, Richard has taken after their father their father was a sculptor mm-hmm. and Richard has yes. kind of taken after him and now he, he you know he, he used to sculpt and in, in, in stone and clay now he does he uses iron Billy I mean he describes you like it's late at night I guess it was Kane comes down and he says you should you should go to bed it's late and he's like do you have any idea where my room is why don't you go to bed Billy I will in a minute. You're going to get all depressed sitting here by yourself. Did you ever see where my room is? You have to go down a corridor where nobody's lived for the past 50 years. Then up a flight of stairs where my great-granduncle or somebody tripped and broke his neck. And then past the spot where my grandfather died of a heart attack. (laughs) I'd rather be depressed here than there. So, yeah, you really kind of feel like he's just shoved to the side and forgotten by the rest of the family. Yeah, I suppose from that perspective, it makes sense that he would have no personality. (laughs) And, of course, you know, the the recurring nightmares about being a child and having a person climbing in your window saying, I'm a crazy person. (laughs) I guess that would disturb anybody. (laughs) Well, and I think that has a little bit to do, too, is he was the youngest. He was... And then he was sort of replaced by this Kathleen, who then is then taken away. But even though she's gone, he's still everyone. He's still living in her still shadow. His spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what he does. You kind of you wonder. He went to school, but does he have any kind of a career? Is he literally just that kid that that family you know he, that family yeah, member? It's so weird. He just lives there. Yeah. It's so weird because he's the one that shows up at the airport to pick up Kane, and she's Richard's girlfriend. Right. And Billy's the one that shows up, and it's like, this is a weird family. Like, this is a weird family right yeah. away. Yeah, and they go and they, they hang out uh, a couple times. They, there's a later on in the film, they you see him pulling up again. This time, Kane's driving his car, and they went off to into town or something for something and mm-hmm. they're coming back and, oh, have you, seen Lu- have you seen Luann? Oh, no, we haven't seen her. We went out early. Really, you got up at the crack of dawn and took your brother's fiance out for a drive. <laughs> I suppose maybe they're trying to make the point that she's there by herself while Richard is busy sculpting right. and Billy's just being nice showing her around. Oh, no, I'm like, sure I've that's what that it happen, is. Yeah, but... no, I don't think there was any kind of like... <laughs> oh, no, no, that's not what I meant either. Okay. But but it, I suppose from that perspective, yeah, it makes sense for the family member to show the guest around while you right. know, the, the main person is busy. But yeah, it is definitely... 
It's a weird family. Yes. Yeah, definitely a weird family. <laughs> to put it mildly, <laughs> it's a weird family. It's a weird family with a little girl that drowned in the pond. <laughs> That's not weird. <laughs> I do also find it interesting that they never mention the father. They never say what happened to him or... I mean, it's not even a plot point. No. They just totally... No, he obviously him. passed away at some point. <laughs> Either that or he's he's, in the... he's hanging out in the back shed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Richard goes down and... Uh, I think Kane follows Richard down into the basement at some point. And she, to his old studio. I, that is a mm-hmm. scene. That is a scene I really enjoyed. Where she is following the man that she loves... And she knows he's up to something sketchy, and she's just determined to go and find out what it right. is. And and the way that scene resolves itself, which I don't even want to say it because I I like so much his reaction. Mm-hmm. I love his reaction. That I like. I just, it's just to me. It's that's kind of the iconic scene of the movie is his reaction to her following him down into this crypt essentially <laughs> where his father used to carve stone you know <laughs> yeah there's a lot about this film to like there really is mm-hmm. unfortunately there's also a lot of issues with um mm. little plot threads and stuff that just stop caleb takes billy they they, they think luann is still around um, so she thinks she must be in town. Louise. Mm-hmm. Or Louise, excuse me. And so they go into town, and they're at the bar. It's like, well, come on, let's have a drink. And so he starts loading drinks into Billy and starts talking. And, <laughs> and and we find out that Billy saw Kathleen drown, and Billy's trying to sort of, like, suppress this memory or hasn't told anybody. But like, oh, but you told me when you were sick and this and that. And they go, and you see Billy sort of pass out from drink. And then the next thing you know, uh, it's the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and it that's is. even after after the mother has passed out from having her experience, and we never hear or see from her again. We never see her. And that's exactly what I meant when I said I'd like to see more yeah. of her. Because I I assume she doesn't just die. No, they said she's <laughs> they still breathing. I, I thought, yes. isn't that what they said? Yeah, yeah she's lying in her bed yeah, with, oh, yeah. from, from shock. Yes, yeah, and they decide to get married. She can't stop them, so they're going to get married downstairs with a massive party. Right. And apparently mother is upstairs in the bed. Maybe it really is psycho. Mother's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how long? She wouldn't want you to disturb how her. How much time has passed that mom is, like, in shock in bed? The, 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 Three yeah, days. I, they threw this, <laughs> they're married like they that. They threw this wedding together fast. <laughs> Yeah, and with, with that dress and everything. So, but you could tell <laughs> in that great wedding. You could dress. tell in that scene in the bar that Caleb is trying to get something out of Billy. And then does he just give up until the wedding? Is that three days later? Is that three? Months right. Later? It just and, and Caleb just doesn't it just say anything stops else to and about suddenly it. it's yeah. hey, have you seen have you seen Richard? No, I haven't seen him. Oh, there's well, Billy seems fine. Everything's good. Caleb's at the wedding. <laughs> He's just going and, you know, picking stuff out of the buffet. Me and creepy doctor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Slipping off the tie. Oh, well, I guess the you know, the <laughs> formality's so over. Yeah. That's why I like him. He's so weird. I would want to hang out. He's my favorite character. Really? He is the guy I would want to hang out with. Absolutely. Because he's so creepy. And <laughs> just because his lip twists doesn't mean he's sinister. <laughs> I, I love him. He's wonderful. I want to hang out with just weird people like him. <laughs> Fair enough. 
so yeah, there are issues, I guess. Uh, there are <laughs> there are things like um, there's also little bits that kind of get missed. Uh, Louise, when while she's trying to hide the fact that her husband's you know dead, and he's, she's trying to, she's made up the story that she's gone that he's gone to New York. You know, he types. She types the letter. She does goes to all the trouble, and she does the uh, the signature and everything like that. And she gets his typewriter in a suitcase and takes it out to the pond. And chucks it in the pond where the body right. is. Right, or well, where the where Kath, where Kathleen died, or was drowned. And then later on in the film, they drain the pond. I realized that too in the last time I watched it. I wonder if they drained just to the point that it could move the plot forward and there was still water in <laughs> yeah, it? Enough water or... to cover a giant suitcase and a typewriter laying in the mud? <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe they went rowing on a different pond on the castle well, that grounds. Was the... Maybe there's more well, than Well, I'm one assuming pond. the pond that they went rowing <laughs> on is different than the pond on the family estate. After, after she disposes of the body and gets out of the boat, she gets in the car and drives somewhere. I'm assuming back yeah, to the castle. That's, that's true. Yeah, that would make so sense. So I'm assuming that but lake then, is somewhere else. Then, but that just creates a bigger <laughs> plot hole. So they literally, in the middle of the night, exactly. after reading the will, they get in a car and they drive somewhere just so that he can take a radio out and row around in a boat for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's a li- It is a bit strange. It's funny because it starts off and you're like, oh, wow, that's a, that's an incredibly quick, very, like, it clips along. It's a good start to a movie. It, but, you know, when you start discussing it and going, wait, wait about this plot hole, what yeah. about that plot hole? You're like, wait a minute. Now. Yeah, it doesn't this is lend confusing. itself to me. It's one of those things that uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's like a real pretty tapestry. <laughs> but if you just pull one string. <laughs> it all comes unraveled. Yeah. It's almost like, you're. this, this is going to shock you, it's almost like they had leftover money from another movie <laughs> and wrote a script as fast <laughs> as they could. <laughs> And made a movie yeah, out of it. Yeah, honestly. Like a rip-off psycho. That's a, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, you, you talk about a screenplay that was written overnight, and then the whole thing was filmed in just a little over a week. Which for, you know, when you know that that's what it is, it's a rem- it's a remarkably good story. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, it, you know, it's got some sound issues. It's got some plot holes in it. But it, it no point in the movie are you watching it like, yeah, I think, I think I don't really... I don't really care what happens to any of these people. I'm just going to go, you know, hang out somewhere yeah. else. You, you really are genuinely at least curious. Oh, yeah, you're, it draws you in and draws you in. You are along. never bored. You are absolutely never no. bored with this film. Not at all. And for a movie that was made on a shoestring in a week, that is a huge achievement. Yes, absolutely. No, it was a lot of fun. And if anyone hasn't seen it, I mean, this is kind of one of those classic public domain horror films. Mm-hmm. So if there's any if any horror fans, have, I'm sure have seen this. If you're not a horror fan, though, <laughs> this is actually pro- it's still worth still it. worth it. And it's not uh, there's not a lot of um, I wouldn't say gratuitous. There's Gore. there was some gratuitous um, killings and stuff, Violence, but it's not yeah. it's not a uh, gore. I guess I mean it's yeah. done yeah. if you could call an axe murder thing taste you know tasteful <laughs> tasteful yeah. it's a tasteful axe murder story <laughs> i mean they 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 do manage to work in a little bit of tna uh it just you know bra and panties kind of stuff nothing no nudity yeah yeah there's no actual full nudity there's there's no language there's no what my dad would call skin <laughs> <laughs> 
There's definitely some some bare back area, but nothing, you know, you don't get below the waist or anything like that, you know. It's interesting because you mentioned that uh, Coppola promised that there would be sex in it and there would be violence in it. And it, there are, I guess you would call them sexy moments, not the... Not the brawn panty moment that you were referring to, uh, which is swimming, you know. <laughs> but you know, but they're actually completely uh, appropriate post-wedding consensual right. sexiness, right. which is really funny. It's it's almost a very conservative movie yeah. for an axe murder film. <laughs> but but yeah, I I think it's one that even if you are not a fan of horror, which I, I admittedly am not, I'm sure I've mentioned that right. before. I think it's absolutely worth. I I would watch this a hundred times before I'd ever watch the Velvet again. Before I'd call it a horror. (laughs) I think thriller is a better word for it. I agree. Or suspense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any of those. Yeah. Even though technically, yes, there is horror to it. There is there is violence and technically gore. It is not a gory film. It's actually done really well. Where some of the uh, the the thirst, the first axe murder we see is very much reminiscent of like the Psycho. Where you don't oh, yeah. see anything, but you see the results, kind of thing. You see the you know the blood mm-hmm. in the water. I mean that that is yes. very that's definitely all psycho inspired. Yeah. So yes, it it works, but it is definitely a copycat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and for being a blatant ripoff, it is sort of remarkably successful as as the storyline goes. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, suspe- a successful storyline. And I, I, I did think about up to this point. I can't think of very many films that I've seen up till 1963 that have this many kind of main characters. Where you're switching main characters, you're progressing through the story. It starts out from one person's sort of perspective, and then switches kind of to another and to another. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting technique in the storytelling where it's not that traditional linear one main character. So it's probably interesting to watch for that reason as well. I did throw out a little bit that we were going to be watching this, you know, on the, on the Facebook group and that sort of thing. Uh, Pete Quint comes up again here. who wrote us one of our scripts and everything. He uh, sent me a quick message. He said, dementia 13 was genuinely creepy. I'm not sure why I've never seen it. It's a masterpiece for only having been filmed in nine days. The death of the scheming wife halfway through the film was a surprise and reminded me a little of Psycho. A little? Spoiler! (laughs) It moved a little slowly, and the audio on YouTube was dreadful, but overall, I'd recommend it. Thanks for announcing the film so I could play along. So, yeah, thanks for sending that along, Pete. Appreciate it. Glad we introduced you to a film that you had not seen before. And and I'm glad you just basically told us we're right in everything we just said. <laughs> yeah. Completely agree. Um, there is a copy of it on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, which is a really, I thought, a really nice copy. If you want to look for a different place to watch it, if the YouTube ones that you're finding aren't too great. Because, yeah, this unfortunately is one of those films that, because of the names attached, because it's Francis mm-hmm. Coppola you know, and Roger Corman, and mm-hmm. it's public domain, it's been released dozens of times on home video 
And so there are many, many, many transfers and transfers of transfers <laughs> and that sort of thing out Bad there. Bad quality versions. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was released. I think there's a remastered uh, release that came out just a year or two ago, which I would be very interested in getting it, uh, my hand on. Yeah. I'd like to see this like cleaned up and like crisp uh, remastered. If they actually were, yes. like remastered from like film elements kind of thing. That would be something to see. I would really like to see this in a real clean uh, transfer. There are a few scenes where I struggle to understand what was going on just because the quality. It's not the worst quality we've seen in films by any means. It's far from the worst quality we've seen. But there is some graininess and there's some blurriness in a few areas. And, of course, the the audio it seems off in a couple of places where people are speaking. And it seems like the voice is kind of missed a little hmm. bit. But yeah, I would love to see a cleaned up version. Yeah, uh, I would. I would watch it a fourth time. <laughs> there was apparently also a, a remake of this done a couple years ago. Um, I was curious if that's the same story or not. Sounds like it's loosely, from what I've read from the synopsis. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Um, Very loosely. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it sounds like it's relatively the same, but I just can't imagine anything done in the, in, in the twenty teens that would be able to kind of. <laughs> yeah match this it, I, I just think they would go for more of the oh now we can actually show the gore and we can show the yes. you know the, the tna and uh, like i'll i'll pass yeah, yeah. don't need that <laughs> well probably worth mentioning kane in the remake is a man oh, so <laughs> definitely okay. some liberties taken on it <laughs> <laughs> and billy is a woman so that's an interesting twist i suppose yeah interesting yeah Oh, now I kind of feel like maybe I should look up the 2017 version, see how they. Yeah, that's with unfortunately it. not available on Prime, but I have, I might have to look and see if I can find that on Tubi or some other streaming service or something and check it out, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity. But anyway, we should probably rate this one. What do you think, Lydia? On a scale to one to five, <laughs> one just don't bother, and five we think it's something you have to see. That's interesting. I, th- this is almost like a conditional rating. <laughs> I don't, I, I even at this moment, trying to come up with a rating for it, I I don't have a set number of othels in mind. It's, it's hard to, usually by the time that we get through talking about a movie, I have a pretty good idea of what I think I'm going to rate it. But this time it's kind of like, well, there are, there are aspects of it that are better than a three. Yes. And there are aspects of it where, as we, as you said, you know, when you start pulling at that thread, the whole thing unravels, making it definitely not one of the best movies we've seen. But we don't always rate things based strictly on how good they are. Sometimes we just rate them based on how enjoyable they are. So I think on on that scale, with that, with that criteria in mind, I would give it a four. I would say maybe this isn't the only movie you should watch that we've ever reviewed. Or, you know, if you're only going to watch one, you should watch this one. I think I still go back to Rain as being probably the best movie we've reviewed on this. There, are, We've reviewed a lot of really good movies. So from that perspective, I don't think I can give it five. But I think, I mean, it definitely deserves better than a two. And I think it even from a, from the standard of just being enjoyable to watch. And, and actually, I have to clarify because I mentioned I watched it several times. I'm not sure that I, I mentioned that the first time I watched it, I didn't really like it. 
And the second time I watched it, I know I mentioned that refer, you know, regarding Kane that I liked her more, but I actually liked the movie more the second time. The third time I watched it, it actually started to seem sort of genius to me. So, so maybe it's a movie that the more times you watch it, the better rating it gets. <laughs> <laughs> so I think three and a half or four, that's the range that I'm in. Just because I think it's one of those that the characters in it are worth watching. Well, that might explain, because this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen this film. Uh, so that's probably why I come up with a four myself. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, there are... It, this isn't a, a necessarily the quality of the film. There's not um, there's not anything terribly groundbreaking, except for the fact that you've got a very you know young, inexperienced director who is you know honing his craft very early in his career and taking on things and going, okay, let's do this. We're going to do this sort of psycho thing. Like you, you mentioned Rebecca and then, you know what, let's throw in some underwater photography too. That is exactly what I was just thinking of. There's some under, there's some, the swimming scenes are actually remarkably well done, especially for the era. We'll throw in, let's go, let's go ahead and throw in an ax murderer, but let's, let's shoot it. So we're (laughs) not exactly sure who the ax murderer is. And we're going to write this. So everybody's suspect and you, you're watching the film the whole time and you're kind of, you're waiting for the twist. This is a film that you're really expecting. Okay. Yeah. It looks like a guy, but it turns out it's really the woman or something. It could be the mother. Yeah. Or the mother. Or or this is, it's, it's, it's really the doctor who's, you've been driven mad by this woman or something like that. (laughs) Uh, The dad really isn't dead. I mean, you're waiting for anything. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Cause you, you really, it's not until the final end when it's finally revealed that you're going, Oh, 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 okay. So it was the obvious one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's one of those. It's so weird because it, like you said, there are a couple of moments where the thread of the story just stops. Right. And it's like if it makes you wonder if there had been a little more time or a little more budget or a little more script revision. Yeah. Had this not been what a, this movie had this been. not been an afterthought, you know. Oh, yeah, I got some money, <laughs> we, whatever. We have some leftover money here. Why don't you make something with right. it? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, so I, I, I'm fine giving it a four. I, I still think it's it's a very, like a, like we were saying, it's not boring. Um, it clips along just fine. It's it's not a, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Exactly. I appreciate that as well, yeah. because even though there are moments where it feels like a scene was cut short, you aren't left feeling like you missed a section of the movie. You feel like, oh, well, they cut that scene short, but you don't feel like, oh, it was cut short in error. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think they could have gotten by without the voiceovers. You could, you could see the, yes. uh, the whole thing with Louise going, oh, and I've got to do this, and no, oh, he won't forget this. Like, you know, she the, she's good enough yeah. of an actress. You didn't need that. It detracts from the film, but knowing that it was added in post by the producer makes a lot of yes, sense. Yes, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely think it's it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already seen it, or you know, give it another watch if you saw it once and you know you weren't sure what to make of it. Listen to this and then go back and check it out again. See if you get a little bit more out of it. Watch it three or four times. See if your rating doesn't go up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll turn into genius, <laughs> like like it did for Lydia. <laughs> 
so I guess that will do it for this month. Um, Lydia and I will be back in another month with another film, and we will we will start chatting and start figuring out what we're going to do with uh, these five minute mysteries that we have now that we have to produce. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Lydia, thank you so much for joining me. This was uh, something you uncovered. I think this is a film that you found, and I'm glad you do picked it and i'm glad that you enjoyed it well thanks i'm glad i enjoyed it too (laughs) and i hope i hope you guys all did as well so thank you everyone for listening until next month we'll say goodbye bye